one and all. You are tuning into another episode of Excerpts from Aesthetical Sermons. Uh, last week I said I would be giving an announcement on the future of this project. Uh, the truth is, my comment was made out of the shallow frustration that has been festering inside me since the poor turnout for our live cast. And, uh, while that feeling of emptiness still remains, it, uh, it hardly seems right to uh, take that out on all of you who so faithfully and ritualistically tune in to hear uh, the wisdom from Jorz every week. And, uh, what wisdom? Uh, am I right? <clears throat> but, uh, when we first aired the excerpt from his sermon on familiar stories, I, I had in passing alluded to a Jurisian account of the three little pigs. Uh, it never occurred to me to play a clip this long, uh, nor one as strange as his particular take on the familiar tale. But your letters that week, well, uh, a number of you uh, pleaded that we share it, so as a dedication to all of you, I thought we might revisit his sermon on familiar stories to enjoy Joris adapt the famous plight of three pigs for the Congregation of Aesthetical Philosophy. The only foreword I can offer you all is, uh, well, you asked for it. Who are they, these pigs? These lightly-haired constructors of architectural ingenuity and manufacturers of inhabitable poetry. They were a brotherhood, and it is said in parchments that spell of mold in millennia that they wielded rare imaginative powers that spanned the very circumference of creation, and even from time to time, piercing its gauzy membrane to gaze upon the sublimity of chaos. With what delicate care they arranged their artifacts, and with what subtlety they executed their construction, we can only dream, and only in the most tumultuous of dreams. But their contemporaries needed not dream, and with the gross regional prestige the brothers acquired, they quickly became visited by innumerable admirers who flocked to gaze upon their works and to hear their poems deploying both pastoral and bestial themes. I have known such a claim myself. It has haunted me with its complications and visited upon me the foulest expressions of humanity. To be preeminent in anything attracts the most bloodthirsty of flies and the most covetous of monsters. Yes, I too have been 
chased by wolves. I too have shuddered at the smell of carrion still lingering upon their breath. Such is the irascibility of wolves. And such is their doggedness that it seemed the blessed porcine trio would inevitably succumb to some tragical conclusion or other. Oh, brothers, spake one peak unto the others. Doth not the wind carry ill omens, and write upon the billowing reeds a turn of fortune? Wherefore this dread that sets my skin to ripples and chills me to the bone? Brothers, though our works have always been dedicated to the mountains and rivulets, and to those birds that visit the mountains and rivulets to rehearse their ancient melodies, we must now modify our own pitch to shield ourselves and our philosophy. For violence and violent men detest all that is harmonious. Therefore, let our next works be as mirrors capable of reflecting back unto our aggressors the beastliness of their enterprise, that their attacks upon us be not suffered peaceably, but glazed the aspect of horror and cruelty. And create they did, with fibers from the plains, woven in just such a way, that their undulations would dazzle the eye of any intruder. And they utilized limbs from the forest, whose rattlings mixed and countermixed to produce xylophonic alarms capable of unmasking even the stealthiest of thieves. And hewn from the rarest of minerals, they carved a facade, flanked in figures and foliage forever frozen in marble, which bespeak, in inanimate pantomime, the countless rationalities of canine brutality. And were those sculptures not a gleaming alabaster white? One might have supposed them as stained burgundy red, as a pedestal to a ravenous deity adorned with sacrificial entrails. Then, having finished, the brother sat around a virgin hearth and proceeded to name each other the very... Forgive me uh, here, but... Uh... Uh, after the pigs finish, they they start reading to each other these these really long poems about farming practices and um, 
such which uh, I'm sure no one's interested in hearing, so I'm just going to advance the track a bit here. Okay. These Ekelonks and Meditations were, however, lost upon the wolf, who, having thus arrived, said unto them, Thou quaint brotherhood of the earth, skilled in art and learning, I am come for thee and thine. Long it is theorized that by eating thine meats, the eater might be fortified with the peerless skills of the eaten. Thus, regrettably for you, do I find myself here in your company. Make not my task uneasy, but surrender thyself willingly unto my thing. Yet no sooner had she begun to speak than the wind began to play upon the reeds to dazzling effect, and the branches then gave way to alien harmonies as if balloted by Apollo himself. And, paralyzed by this beauty, the wolf looked upon the marble tableau, which made the full gravity of its meaning known unto her. And she shuddered in remorse. Her image and its role in this terrifying symphony was as conspicuous as Blue Aster in the fall. Who is it that thus affected such art from you? She said. Is it the blackbird that daily sings? Or the salamander shyly creeping through the grass? Pretend was it the eel, or owl, or even these great poplars that posed for thee? But she knew. She needn't but glance at those marbles once, and her hateful influence was understood. How could she continue her bloodlust? Nay, she could not. She would not. Was not her intention to achieve enlightenment? To eat them now would be uncouth. And with this revelation, she departed heading for the temperate shore of a long peninsula, adopting along the way two often human boys who lay crying by the path she followed. And she gave each of them a name. Well, uh, not exactly a... Uh canonical reading of the story, but uh, 
but it provides important context for the set of stories that follow it. Uh, the two children that Joris mentions at the tale's tail end were uh, none other than Remus and Romulus. Uh, it would seem that uh, through the pig's influence upon the wolf, the famed founders of Rome learned how to construct a new civilization. Thanks to her, albeit meandering, education. The reasons for Joris to frame Rome's history in this way are, are not fully understood, but it's safe to assume it had something to do with his celebrated hatred of Rome, and, and all things Roman. <clears throat> in other news, uh, with the conclusion of the growing season, we say a fond farewell to our dedicated sponsor, Carol. Uh, she has officially closed Carol's cucumbers for the winter months, which means that we'll be looking for a new sponsor. Uh, if you uh, know anyone willing to contribute to excerpts from aesthetical sermons, uh, we are eager to hear from you, because uh, as a consequence of my dedication to this project, I, uh, I have since lost my job, and now rely almost exclusively on the revenue from this show to support my increasingly weary family. So, uh, until next time, in the words of the Chief Zealot, Treat nectar and go penniless into the crowd. <laughs>